Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 6, and we want to look at uh, verses 9 through 20. Now, the promises of God are sure. And throughout our lifetime, we hear promises. We just basically come off of an election year. And, I mean, remember the promises. We were hearing them constantly. But once somebody goes into office, it seems like the promises are not heard of anymore. And even ourselves, I remember as a kid, you know, we would make promises to mom and dad, and yet they falter. Husbands, sometimes we make promises to our wives, and wives sometimes promises to the husbands. And uh, yet, here we're going to read this morning in Scripture, God's promises. As we look at the Scriptures, as we read the Word of God, God's promises are sure. God will not... <laughs> You know, tell us a lie. We're going to see that in Scripture this morning. Now, last week, we concluded with a third warning uh, to the Hebrew Christians. We know that uh, he spoke about the dangers of not progressing in Christ Jesus, the dangers of remaining in the baby stages as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. We must grow. We must grow in Christ. We must mature in Christ. We must seek after the meat of the word, the sound doctrine, the firm doctrine, the healthy teachings. If we do these, study God's word, then make application of God's word in our hearts and in our lives, our personal walk in Jesus Christ, we have no alternative but to mature. We're going to grow in Christ. And this morning, the writer of the book of Hebrews, now I believe it's Paul the Apostle. There are those that argue. But whosoever wrote the book, we know that the Holy Spirit had to dictate the Word of God to them. He's going to speak about the promises of God. But not only the promises of God, but the promises of God, they're sure. I mean, you can hold on to that. You can take it to the bank, as they say. If it's in God's Word, it will come to pass. And so many times we just, well, it's God's word. You know, the Old Testament prophets spoke about the first coming of Christ. And see, we don't have a problem with that. But the Old Testament prophets also spoke of the second coming of Christ. And there are those that even say, well, you know, we've been hearing that promise for so many years. Well, I can guarantee you this is a sure thing. If Jesus came in his first advent, he's coming again. And so we have to be aware of these things in Scripture. And I believe the whole Word of God. And so the Hebrew Christians, as Paul or the, the epistles being written to them, whoever it might be, we know it's the Holy Spirit, was giving some instructions. And now he comes to this place of God's promises that they are sure. And so let's get into this. we got a lot to cover. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 9. But beloved... We are confident of better things to come concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So in other words, these blessings are going to come after your salvation, though we speak in this manner. Now, we concluded last week in our study, verses 7 and 8, we expounded from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the soil, how Jesus, the sower, cast the seed, which is the word of God, into the soil, and we know that the soil speaks of the heart of man. We know that there were four hearts that were represented in the parable, but only one heart took the seed and produced fruit. 
Now we spoke about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And then we spoke about the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. And Jesus promised we're going to bring forth fruit, much fruit, and then more fruit. And so God brings this through us. But the fruit of the Spirit begins with agape love. And so he begins the verse here, and he says, agape ones. Now the writer takes the right into the responsibility as a true believer in Jesus Christ. He says, beloved of God, agape ones, we must be confident. And this word confident speaks of my assurance in and through Jesus Christ. That's my complete assurance. The writer says he is assured of better things that will come forth from you, the believer, the body of Christ, the Hebrew Christians. But what about us this morning? Better things to come. This is a promise, church. The things of God that will allow your salvation and through Christ, then blessings are going to follow. And so we have to be, uh, you know, attentive to these things. God wants to bless us. Now, he says here, though we speak like this, now he's going back. Basically, the Holy Spirit uh, has already taught us as we've begun in the book of Hebrews. And there was three warnings. We covered the third one last week. In Hebrews chapter 2, the warning of drifting away from God. In Hebrews chapter 3, the warning of the dangers of disobedience. And then last week in Hebrews chapter 6, the dangers of not progressing in Christ, staying in the milk of the Word of God. We need to progress. We need to grow. We need to mature. Blessings are going to come. Blessings are going to follow after our salvation. Don't be just content with your salvation. Let us grow in Christ. Look at verse 10. He's going to take it further. For God is not unjust or unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you have ministered uh, to the saints, and you do minister. And so God saw the hearts uh, of the Hebrew Christians. I mean, their labor, their service. The word that he uses to minister, diakonia, in the Greek, they were servants. A servant is basically one that cleans tables. A servant is one that, you know, sets up tables, tear down tables. I mean, the same thing when we've seen it here in our own sanctuary. We'll take down the chairs, and then we'll set the chairs back up. A servant. And we do this not unto salvation. We've already come to salvation. But I believe strongly that works come automatically. God sees this. Now, be careful as he's addressing the Hebrew church here that we don't do works as to be seen by man, but that we do works as unto the Lord. God forbid that I'm doing the work and I'm looking around. Who's watching me? Is Pastor Bob, Pastor Jeff? Is it Pastor Jay? Is he keeping an eye on me? You better be here to please God. That's my concept. I hope and pray that's your concept. We need to serve the Lord. Now, when you serve, God sees all things. There's a beautiful psalm. I want you to study Psalm 139. We've spoken of it in time past. Uh, the caption in my Bible says Psalm 139 is the all-seeing eye of God. Now, if you do something for recognition, God sees that too. Well, here comes my wife. I better do that. Here comes the husband. I better do that. Oh, here comes Pastor Jeff down the hallway. He better see me busy. 
And you better make sure that God sees what you're doing. And as you're doing it, as unto the Lord. And this was the Hebrew uh, church here. Uh, he says, for God is not unjust to forget your work, your labor, your toil, your sweat. And so God sees all things church. And, and he had his eye on the church of the Hebrews. Uh, they're coming out of Judaism and coming into saving grace. He has better things for us. Oh, it's a joy to serve in the Lord. I mean, before I came to Christ, we didn't serve God. Before we came to Christ, you're not going to like this, but we served the enemy. We served Satan. We served the devil. Oh, Pastor Bob, don't say that. Hey, I can testify to it, and so can you. But now we come to Christ. Man, I want to serve the Lord, and I want to serve his people. In fact, I want to serve non-believers if it's possible. And so the service of God, a diaconeia, this is where we get the word deacon. We're all deacons. We're all servants of the Lord. Now he continues, and he's going to be getting into the promises of God. Look at verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence uh, to the full assurance of your hope until the end. Man, let us serve the Lord until he comes unto the end. God's promises are for those who serve him and serve his people. The Holy Spirit desires that each one of us, which are the believers in Christ, would show forth the same diligence. Now, listen to the word diligence. That we would have the same zeal. That we would have the same drive. That we would have the same eagerness. I like another word, perseverance. You see, I spent too many years serving the enemy. And now when I come to saving grace, I desire to serve God. I hope you desire to serve God. To the full assurance, listen to the translation, to the complete confidence of our personal hope in Jesus Christ. Until he takes us home or the rapture of the church takes place. Do I desire to serve diligent? Do I persevere? It should be a joy unto the Lord. Now, Paul had this concept. He knew he was getting ready to die. I want you to turn to this passage. I want to read it with you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Now, many scholars believe this is Paul, his final statement. He's getting ready to give up the ghost. It's time for him to go home. And so he's come to that place. He's already met, met Nero once. He's going to met, meet Nero again. But in this second meeting, something happens. And we know historically that Paul is beheaded for the glory of God. I believe the Holy Spirit uh, placed it in his heart. I don't know if Paul, I don't think he knew he was going to be beheaded, but he knew his time was short. And I know this is one of the reasons he wrote the pastoral epistles. He writes 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He was encouraging these young pastors. Because Paul's time had finished. And so do we serve the Lord with all diligence? As he's coming tomorrow or he's coming next week, he could come after the service. But listen to what Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He begins in verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. For my departure. Paul knew in his heart that Nero was going to take him out. 
He didn't know exactly how, but he knew that this was the last meeting. In fact, Paul had a favorable meeting with Nero, but it was in this second meeting. In fact, some scholars believe that Nero possibly by this time could have been demon-possessed. But he liked to hear Paul the first time. But the second time, he took his head off. And Paul was ready, church. And I read passages like this. And I ask myself the question, what if God called me to be a martyr? What if God called you to be a martyr? Now, we don't live in third world countries. And in third world countries, it's happening every day. But yet, we all go through our own trials. Uh, he's not finished. Look at verse 7 now. I have fought the good fight. And I've underlined that in my Bible. Because can I say that? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say, let us win the race. You know, when you get out there as a young kid or uh, an adult or whatever it might be, and you start running with somebody, you start jogging with somebody, and sooner or later, somebody starts going a little bit faster. And then you say, well, that can't happen. Then you start to go faster. And then if you can't keep up with them, you find a way to knock them down. Because we want to win the race. But in the kingdom of God, listen, it's who finishes the race. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. We must finish the race. It's not who wins the race. I have fought the good fight. He says, I have finished the race. Another translation, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And then he concludes in verse 8, Now therefore, it is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Paul knew that when he got to heaven, he would receive a crown of righteousness. He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the day. And not only to me. Listen, Paul's not being a glory hog over this. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I've been a Christian going on 30 years, and I'll tell you what, I still anticipate that the Lord's coming in my time. I hope that is the hope in you. We need to be ready that the Lord would come even tomorrow, even tonight, even this evening, even after the service. That's the anticipation. Imagine that there's crowns awaiting for us. There are those that say, well, listen, I just want to get to heaven. I agree. Let's get to heaven. But imagine that God wants to dispense crowns for us. There are various crowns. I think there's five crowns in, in the scriptures. And here's Paul saying that he's going to receive the crown of righteousness. Now, can I receive all the crowns? You can receive them all. But one of them is martyrdom. And so maybe we're not going to receive that one. But man, to do the service as unto the Lord. And so this is why in verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, full assurance. I mean, keep busy until the Lord comes. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 12 as he continues. That you do not become sluggish. Now we've already warned about the Hebrew Christians that the, uh, you know, the letters being written to, some were drifting away, some were disobedient. Some were not progressing. They were still drinking the milk of the word. That we not become sluggish, but imitate, copy, mimic those who through faith and patience inherit the promise of God. And he's going to be speaking about Abraham. If God's promises are sure, 
And that's what we're talking about in our study this morning. The word sure. God's promises are firm. God's promises are stable. God's promises are steadfast. I like this translation. God's promises are secure. There's not a lot of security out there today. I mean, people put their security in banks, put their security in their 401ks, put their securities in their retirements, and that's all good. I mean, there's a retirement package that, you know, the church has set up for us, but my retirement, my security has to be in Christ. What if we save and we say, uh, look what's happening in the automobile industry. Oh, I work for the union. I'm getting paid. I got security. When they say it's not there, it's not there. Well, I'm waiting for, you know, my retirement. What, what happens on the next day you retire? And it's not there. What are we going to do? I mean, they're just going to throw up their hands. My security, my sureness is in Christ Jesus. How important, church. If God's promises are sure. In other words, something unmovable, unchangeable, then let us not become sluggish. Let us not become lazy, slothful. Let us not become dumb when it comes to the word of God. Let there be application. But instead, let's imitate. Listen to the word imitate. Let's be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's copy. Let's mimic. Let's follow after those saints that in the past. That's why we study the Old Testament. I look at Paul's life. I look at Timothy's life. I look at Titus' life. Could be Old Testament, New Testament. I want to pattern my life. And so many times we want to be like the rock stars, the kids. We see these guys on, you know, the sports. Mind if I could be like them. Then you look at them, they're miserable, they're empty. And I thank the Lord for those that are saved, those that are Christian. But let us be followers of those that are following Christ, who through faith, be it the Old Testament, they believe by faith in God. Abraham believed God by faith. In the New Testament, we believe God by faith through Jesus Christ. In the death and the cross. Have patience, church. Notice that he says, through faith, patience, inherit the promise. The word patience is to have long-suffering. By nature, I'm an impatient person. I believe most of us, by nature, we're all impatient. I mean, we go down Alpha Sale, and I want to pick out a hamburger place, and it doesn't matter which hamburger, I, I make sure there's no cars. I want the empty one. I go to the bank and I wait. Let's see which one's the less. That's just our nature. We're just so impatient. And so let us have long-suffering in Jesus Christ. Patience. Listen, here's, here's the key this morning, Christian. Hang on. Hang in there. He's not finished with us. He was not finished with the early church. He's not finished with us today. Because one day we will inherit. We're going to inherit all his promises. And I want you to see this morning, I want you to see what we already have. I go back 30 years, I see the blessings. I see you, that you're part of our blessings. Hang on. God is not finished. What we already have, what's still coming? That one day the Lord's going to take us home. Now, I have eternal life, but I haven't experienced it yet. But one day I will. Those that have preceded us in death, some of our family, friends, and loved ones, they're home with the Lord. 
It's interesting when we do funerals, we weep for our loved ones, and rightfully so. But if they know Jesus, they've gone home to be with him. I've always asked. We don't read about Lazarus smiling after coming back. Thanks a lot, Mary and Martha. I mean, he had to die again another time. Think about that. Look what the Lord has already given us. Now, again, we're going to be getting into this portion of the blessings that were promised to Abraham. I want you to take down this verse. I'm going to read it to you. In the book of Romans, in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul encourages the saints at Rome concerning the promise to Abraham. It's the same promises to us, church. He says in Romans 14, 6, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith in Abraham. And I believe that also includes Jew and Gentile. Abraham, who is the father of us all. The Bible says in the Old Testament that Abraham believed God by faith. Well, what about now the New Testament? We believe God through Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who paid the full ransom at the cross. You see, church, it's all about faith. The promises of God are sure, but it takes faith. It takes faith. And now we're in, in our society today. They don't believe the full word of God. I'm talking about churches. I'm talking about pastors. I'll tell you what, I love the Old Testament. You've been here long enough. We teach the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. And then we come on Sunday mornings and we teach the New Testament. The Old Testament is pointing to the cross. We're looking at the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament is pointing to the book of Hebrews. Jesus, the complete sacrifice, the complete Lamb of God, our final high priest. God's promises, they are sure. Now, he's going to continue this. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12 in just a minute. But look at verse 13 of our text. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by anyone greater, he says he swore by himself. Now, that makes plenty of sense. Now, watch this. The Holy Spirit gives the example of the Old Testament patriarch, Father Abraham. Since there was no other greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. He clarifies it in the next verse, verse 14. I was thinking of this concept, verse 13, God swore unto himself. Remember when we were kids, mom and dad would ask you something, did you do this? No, I didn't. I swore to God I didn't do it. I mean, we were quick. Because you know your parents weren't going to believe you. I remember this statement, the kids, you know, I, I swear in my mother's grave. I mean, your mom's not even dead, man. What are you talking about? Well, when she dies, I swear in her grave. We see in the movie, I don't know if they do it, and I haven't been in a court of law in a long time, but they're supposed to put their hand in the Bible, and they're supposed to swear to tell the truth. So help me God. And then they lie to their teeth. And so here's God swearing to his own name. Now, Abraham, the father of multitude, that's what it means in the Hebrew. Now, listen to verse 13 again, the bottom portion. That God could only swear 
to, to self because there was no greater than he. The Greek says this literally. Since he had the complete power and authority to swear by no one greater but by himself. That by himself. And yet we would make those blanket statements. Oh, I swear to God, I swear to God. Cross my heart, hope to die, you know. We used to say all those things and basically they were meaningless. But think about God. He's swearing upon himself. He said, I will swear to myself, I, I will fulfill my promise to you, Abraham. And what he's saying there in the Greek, Abraham, you can count on it. The promises of God, and we know the promises of God came to Abraham. Listen, church, if the promises of God came to Abraham, don't you think the promises of God are going to come to us? And we've already, if you've been a Christian long enough, we've already experienced many of God's promises. First of all, God promised salvation. We've come to saving grace. We come to saving grace and God promises the Holy Spirit. We've received the Holy Spirit. God promises us eternal life. Now, basically, I have eternal life. I haven't experienced it in heaven yet, but I will one day. I expect when I die to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, before I came to Christ, I feared death. I mean, who doesn't fear death? Nobody goes out, oh, I can't wait to die. No, it's just not, it's not natural. But we come to Christ. God's in control of me. I mean, we've all, I believe most of us have been in an airplane once in a while. I never unbuckle because it never fails. There's those times, that, boom, you just drop. What happened? You're here, the stomach's up there, right? And I tell you, I look around, everybody's buckling. And then everybody starts thinking, and it never fails. When Mary and I and my wife fly together, we'll hold hands at the tarmac. Before we take off, we'll pray, and it never fails. People stop around us. They want to hear. And I've even heard amen after we say it. But then once we get up on flight, leveled off, hey, I want a drink. Short-lived, isn't it? But we all have this concept, and we are all concerned. God's promise of salvation, promise of his Holy Spirit, promise one day of eternal life. We can count on it, church. He's talking to the Hebrew church. What about us 2,000 years later? His promises are sure. I want you to see the word sure. We're going to draw from it later on. God's promises are firm. They're stable. They're steadfast. They're secure. I like this. God's promises are unmovable. Unmovable. I am secure in Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you some examples. Through the ages, kings, magistrates, monarchs, rulers, presidents, they've all made promises, and they've all failed. But God's promises, church, they are sure. They are secure. When I read the scriptures, you read the scriptures, his promises are sure. We can, as they say, we can take that to the bank. Man will always make promises, but only God's promises are secure. Now he goes into verse 14, and he's still talking about Father Abraham. And then he says here, saying, surely, blessings. I will bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to multiply you, Abraham, and I will, multi I will multiply, and I will multiply you. And so the word surely here, 
that God confirms these things. It's the word confirmation in the Greek. God confirms in us the blessings. Watch the blessings. The translation of blessing, God confirms prosperity, praise, blessings upon our own lives. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I'm not as prosperous as I'd like to be. I believe that God has us where he has us. I wonder how many of us would be in church if we would prosper the way we think. Oh, if I could just win this or if I could just have that. If they could come to my house and say, you know, you're the digest winner. Is that going to bring happiness? I don't think so. But prosperity, praise, blessings. And then he tells Abraham, I will bless you, Abraham. And I will multiply, listen, or increase your blessing. And Abraham was a very wealthy man. And then he says, I will multiply you. In other words, increase you through your family. And through Abraham came the Jews. And the Jews are still around us, church. <laughs> you can't get rid of them, right? They've tried. You go in the Old Testament, and, and you, we read about the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Hivites. And I ask the question, where are these ites? But the Jews are still around. I like that. The Jews are still around. The promises to Abraham, the father of Israel, is found in Genesis chapter 12. Turn with me. I love this beautiful portion here. Now, what I'd like to also mention, Abraham was a man of faith. We find him in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the, uh, the heroes of faith. And once we get there, it's not just Abraham, even the faith of Sarah. But what I like about Abraham's faith, we find him that he had lapses of unbelief. Ladies, you remember when they went to Egypt? He tells Sarah, you tell them you're my sister. He was afraid. He didn't do that once. He did it twice. And, and then what gets me, Sarah calls him Lord. I says, man, I'd throw soup on his head. Abraham, listen, was a man of faith. Abraham was a man of faith. Not one of us in here have never, you know, can say, I've never experienced lapses of faith. Yes, we have. But then God builds our faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You want more faith? Get into God's word. And God will multiply that. But it's not without lapses of faith. We have, you know, hills and valleys, and, and then we have peaks. But it seems like when I need that faith, God places that faith. But look at Abraham. The promises to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 1. Now, before we read this, on your own, I want you to study the book of Acts, chapter 7. Luke, the writer, uh, is giving the testimony of Stephen. And Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, and he recalls this passage of Abraham's promise. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin, very Jewish leaders. Genesis 12, look at verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, this is before they changed his name to Abraham, Abram, get out of your country, Abraham, from your family and from your father's house and to a land that I will show you. He does not tell him where he's going. 27 years ago, we moved from Southern California to New Mexico. I knew that God was sending us to New Mexico. I knew specifically I wanted to go to Albuquerque, bigger city. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt 
God was sending us to Las Cruces. Abraham, Abraham did not have that privilege. Abraham, get up, leave your family, leave your country, go. Where am I going? Just go. Talk about faith, church. Now, in verse 4, we're going to cheat. Go ahead a little bit. He's 75 years old. He's 75 years old. I was 30, and I was freaking out. Got three kids, got a wife, got, you know, mortgage, got house payment. Go? What about Abraham? And then he gives them the promise. You go, Abraham. Step out by faith. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. He has. I will bless you and make your name great. He has. And you shall be a blessing. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, even though people hate, there's a love-hate relationship with the Jew. There's a love-hate relationship with Israel. And God has blessed them. And if you take from Genesis and you go up to Abraham, that's 2,000 years. If you go from Abraham uh, to the time of the New Testament, it's another 2,000 years. And now you come to our time, it's 4,000 years later, church. 4,000 years later since Abraham. 6,000 years. Many believe we're at the last stage. There's one more 1,000-year reign. Now, in verse 3, here's the promise. keeps going. And I will bless those, Abraham. This is where we come in. This is where the church comes in. And I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. And I will curse those or curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're commanded, listen, to bless the Jews. The Bible says in the Psalms, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I can honestly tell you that before I, I became a Christian, I could care less about the Jews. Before I became a Christian, I could care less about Israel. Never had a desire to go. Never had a desire to speak to a Jew about, about Christ. But then you come to saving grace. And you read about the promises such as Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Abraham, I'm only, not only going to bless you, but I will bless those that bless you. But I'll also curse those that curse you. Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to multiply your families. Church, we need to pray. For our United States of America, that we never turn our back on Israel. I see it. It's coming. The day we turn our back on Israel is the downfall of the United States of America. It's already starting. If you study England, you study the Brits, they've given up on God. They've given up on Israel. Most of their churches have been turned into mosques. They used to boast that the sun never sit. You know, on the soil of the United Kingdom. It's not so anymore, church. We don't realize how much God has blessed the world, listen, uh, through the Jews. When you think of the Jewish people uh, per capita, they have produced more doctors, more lawyers, more scientists, more inventors. The Jews have blessed the world. And yet, look at the hatred, the animosity. I'm going to give you some homework. There's a beautiful man, and I want you to Google his name. His name is Hyman Solomon. And then you put 1776 on Google and search out his story. 
1776, you know your history. He blessed George Washington. And if you look at your dollar bill, you will see the menorah and you will see the Star of David. And they believe it's to acknowledge Hymen, Solomon. It's a beautiful story. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. I believe our United States of America has been blessed because we've always blessed Israel. Pastor Chuck, Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, he's a blessed man. The ministry of Calvary Chapel is a blessed man. And I learned it through Chuck's teachings. He has always searched for opportunities to bless the nation of Israel. Calvary Chapels go to Israel as many times as possible. When you go to the Jordan to get baptized, everything that's set up there for the water baptisms has been set up by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Free at cost. Free at cost. Beautiful. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Look at verse 15 as he continues now. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. This is Abraham. Now, he left his country, left his family. He's 75 years old, but the promise hadn't come. We know that eventually uh, Sarah said, listen, it's not me. I'm the problem. Go into my handmaiden, Hagar. And Abraham did. The son of the flesh was born, Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. And to this day, because of their disobedience, Look at the thorn in the flesh that the Arabs have been to the Jews. But then 13 years later, Sarah is told, this time next year you will be with child. Remember, she laughed. <laughs> they named the child Isaac, the son of the spirit. His name in Hebrew means laughter. I mean, she was old. And she was past the time of a woman having a child. And then she looked at Abraham. He's fried. 100 years old, he's a dad. Couldn't you just see Abraham? Hey, pretty good. God's promise is true. When everything humanly possible was erased, God's promises. And you see, the God that we serve, listen, the promises of God, the God that we serve, he is the God of impossibilities. I know some of you are praying for families. Some of you are praying for spouses. Some of you are praying for children. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. Persevere. Keep praying. Believe God's promises. Believe God's promises. Talk about patience. 75 years old, it wasn't until he was 100 that he had Isaac. That he had Isaac. What a beautiful picture. Now we'll talk about that a little bit more. Look at verse 16 now. For men indeed swear, and he goes back to God swearing by his own name, by the greater, and, and an oath of a confirmation is for them to the end of all disputes. Now he's addressing the men and the women. They can only swear by God because he is the greater. He is greater than any man or woman on this earth. Yet God again... He swore to himself because there was no greater. Listen to the verse now. God took an oath. Confirmation is to prove an end of all disputes. The word disputes of all 
uh, this is a guarantee of all strife, disagreements, disobediences, all contradictions. It is done because God said it. His promise to Abraham to be for Abraham, that promise is still for us today. It's completed through the Jews and the Gentiles to this day. And God is not finished with the nation of Israel. God's promises are sure. I get frustrated when I hear a preacher said God is finished with Abraham or God is finished with the nation of Israel. Not so. The book of Revelation is all about bringing the nation of Israel back to Messiah. They will know that Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so that's why we must bless the Jews. Now, it's interesting that he swears upon his own name. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11, it says that he swore in my wrath. Judgment was going to come to that first generation. They did not enter the promised land. He brings it back in Hebrews 4, uh, verse 3. I swore in my wrath that they shall not inherit the promised land. That first generation did not enter. Only Joshua and Caleb and his family. Moses didn't even enter the promised land. But Moses did go to heaven. We find Moses in Matthew chapter, chapter 17 in, in the Mount of Transfiguration. I believe many of those that died in the wilderness we studied the last couple of weeks, they were strewn throughout the desert. They didn't enter the promised land. But I believe many of them went to heaven. But imagine not partaking of the inheritance. And we shared that last week. But we could all be Christians and not inherit the promises of God until we get to heaven. I'll tell you what, again, think about it, church. You've been a Christian uh, long enough. Look at the blessings. Look at the blessings. I see my kids. I see you. I see your kids. I see how God's taking care of us. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. I will bless you. Follow my lead. Follow the word of God. If you obey God, he has no alternative, listen, but to bless you. Now, we think of blessings sometimes, you know, uh, financially. It's not necessarily. God blesses us. Some of us have great health. Others, we, we suffer, we struggle. But look at the blessings of God. Now, look at verse 17. It continues. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs. The, the promise of the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath again. God shows his promise greater to his joint heirs. Listen, to us. Yes, the blessing was for Abraham, but now it's continued. In Romans chapter 11, we've become the grafted-in branch. There are those that say we've become spiritual Israel. The blessings that God promised to the Jews, the blessings that God promised to Abraham, they've been also given over to the Gentiles, those that have come to saving grace. I like what he says here. Beyond measure through his uh, immutability, that he is unchangeable. If he promised Abraham and all the Old Testament patriarchs his promise, his purpose is the word consul. What about the Hebrew Christians that he is writing the letter to? But what about today, his church, for the last 2,000 years? God confirmed it. Listen, God has made it sure. How? Through the promise of his son, 
Jesus Christ. Now back in Genesis chapter 22, the promise of the Son of the Spirit, we know that it's Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac is a lad now. Abraham is going up to the mountain. Many believe that it's Mount Moriah, the exact place that Jesus died, which was Calvary. Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him unto me. Oh, I've struggled with that passage for years. Those of us with children, imagine God asking you that. The Bible says that Abraham was a lad. He could have been easily a teen or even in early 20s. He was not a little boy because he carried the bundle of wood. And he'd been up to sacrifice with his dad many times. And imagine the obedience of Isaac. The Bible says that he laid him across the altar, the makeshift altar. He blindfolds him and he gets ready to plunge the knife and the angel of the Lord stops him. And God says, the angel of the Lord says, God knows now how much you love him. Abraham believed in the resurrection, but Abraham also knew that God did not require human sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac are a picture of God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus would go to the cross and to die there at Calvary. Now, listen to this verse. It ties it all up. In John chapter 19, verse 30, God's promises to Abraham can be traced all the way to the cross. In John 19, 30, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He's hanging on the cross, and he bows his head, and he gives up the ghost. It is finished, to tell a story uh, in the Greek. It's done. There was no other way. Jesus becomes the complete sacrifice. Jesus points to what was the picture of in Genesis chapter 22, the completion, the complete sacrifice. The promise to Abraham is the promise to the church today. Look at verse 18. He continues that by two immutable things, and he's going to give two promises that are so important, two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He can't lie because he's God. We might have strong consolation, comfort, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. What is the hope? That's the first promise. The hope set before us is Christ. Abraham was pointing to Christ. The Old Testament is pointing to Christ. The Old Testament's pointing to the Messiah. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, that Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the complete sacrifice, the complete high priest. Verse 18, immutable by two unchangeable promises by two unchangeable promises or deeds in which it was impossible that God would lie. It would never happen. We, the church, have this powerful comfort, consolation, this powerful comfort, we who have taken refuge, lay hold of the hope set before us, the church has taken hold 
of the hope which is Christ Jesus. And so the two promises, we're going to conclude it in verses 19 and 20. The first promise, the hope of redemption through Jesus Christ, our first promise. The hope of redemption at the cross. No wonder Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. We must go through the cross. Well, listen, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm good. It's never going to happen. I like when one old preacher said, there's more good people in hell than you can imagine. We must go through the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. Now, look at the second promise. Because we've come to the cross, the second promise, we have access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. That's our second promise. We're going to do that in verses 19 and 20 now. Look at verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor. And what's the whole purpose of an anchor? It's to keep that boat secure. He says, this hope we have is an anchor of the, of, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters uh, the presence uh, behind the veil. Now remember, they couldn't go to the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go through the veil unless they, the priest went first. And it always happened on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the uh, day of uh, Yom Kippur. Jesus made it possible, church. That veil has rent in two from the top to the bottom. Our promise of hope in and through Jesus Christ, he is my personal anchor in my soul. He is my surety, my steadfastness. I am secure, I am safe, I am firm, I am stable in Jesus Christ. Jesus makes the promise complete. I can enter the Holy of Holies because of Christ. And then he brings it to verse 20. When the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Jesus made it possible to enter the Holy of Holies because he is our final high priest under the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to deal with Melchizedek completely and totally i told you once we get to uh hebrews chapter 7 now we're going to find out who melchizedek is i personally believe it was a christophany of jesus in the old testament you see we no longer need an earthly priest because jesus is our eternal priest it is done church it is complete i have this first promise that he gives here now, there's other promises obviously but the hope of redemption through Christ. And then secondly, we have access <laughs> to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. Now, remember that scripture we read a couple of weeks ago? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We can come boldly now to the throne of grace. Why? Because of Christ. I don't need a priest. I don't need a preacher. I can come boldly through Christ. And when the temple rent and chew, it, it tore from the top to the bottom, indicating it came from heaven. Historically, we're told that the Jews went back and sewed the curtain up. This curtain was 18 uh, cubits. It goes from uh, basically your middle finger to your elbow. Thick, 15-foot square, interwoven gold. It couldn't have been cut. It said it took several priests to pull back the curtain to allow uh, the high priest to go in on the Day of Atonement. Imagine they would sew it back up because of their pride. 
as we come to the conclusion, I want you to write down these four keys that are four keys to the faithfulness of Abraham. And again, don't forget the lapses of faith. I like to mention that because we fall trapped to that. And so if God forgave Abraham, he calls him the friend of God. And again, Sarah's called him Lord. Abraham had lapses of faith, but as he progressed, church, as he grew in Christ, as he grew in God, as he matured, his faith developed. And that's the same with us. Now, number one, the first key, Abraham did not consider uh, the human possibility. Lord, you know, Sarah's already up in age. Lord, I guess uh, it's not through me, Sarah said. It's through Hagar. And, you know, we try to help God. And so we come to that first key. Abraham did not consider the human possibility. With God, all things are possible. The second key, Abraham did not stagger at the promises of God through unbelief. Bottom line, at the conclusion, Abraham had faith. No more lapses of faith. And I wonder and I ask, do we come to that place where I'm intact now in my faith? Or am I still challenged in faith? That's why we read. That's why we study. And that's why we make application. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so here's the third key. Abraham was strong in his faith at the end. And he gave God all the glory. There in Genesis chapter 22, when the angel finally said, now God knows, and he, he stopped him from sacrificing Isaac. Isaac said, well, what about the sacrifice, Dad? And he said, God will provide. Then they heard in the thicket a ram that was caught. Remember what Abraham called the place? Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Listen, God provides our faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith and we grow in Christ. That's why we study the word. Uh, the last key, the fourth key, Abraham was persuaded. Listen, Abraham was persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. Are we persuaded? Am I convinced? Are you convinced? I'm convinced that God's not finished uh, with Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm convinced that God's not finished with uh, pouring out his spirit in this town. Oh, there's a cloud in this town. There's people that don't want to come to saving grace. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. But the power of God. Do we have the faith? Do you have the faith? Some of our family members still aren't saved. We've preached. We've prayed. We've fasted. And it seems they get worse. It seems the more my mom prayed for my dad, the more my mom asked for prayer for my dad, the drunker he got. But one day, he gave his life to Christ. Church, let us not be content where we're at. Let us progress. Let us move on. And maybe this morning, we still haven't come to that place of saving grace. Today is the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise and honor and glory and worship. And Lord, we just ask you to go before us right now in the precious name of Jesus. And right now, as the Holy Spirit, I believe, has been moving in our hearts, maybe there's somebody here that has not made that commitment to Jesus. 
with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you this morning and you need to come to saving grace, don't let the enemy rip you off. But right there where you're at, if you want Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning, I see your hand way in the back. Praise the Lord. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? I see your hand right there in the middle of the aisle. Praise God. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there, we're going to pray for you and ask the Lord to go before you. Before I close, anybody else? Praise God. Then let's all stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer. I want to pray for these two ladies that raised their hand. Father, we're so grateful for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, faith starts now. I thank you, Lord, by faith, these two women raised their hands. And Lord, Lord, you know who they are. You know their hearts. You know exactly where they're coming from. We all struggle. We're all sinners needing to come to saving grace. Lord, save them from the fires of hell, Lord. And Father, even right now, as you see their hearts, cleanse them, wash them, empty them of themselves, Lord. Lord, give them the promise of your salvation. Make it sure in their hearts, Lord. Father, save them. As they confess their sins, Lord, wash them in the precious blood of Jesus. And now, Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger and a thirst for your word. Lord, baptize them in the power of your Holy Spirit that they might desire to follow you like never before. Father, meet all of their needs here. And Lord, we pray for the rest of the body of Christ here this morning. Some of us lacking the power of God, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would truly ask from our hearts and that you would empower us, Lord. That you would give us that Holy Ghost power that was dispensed at Calvary, that was also dispensed at, at Pentecost, Lord. As the book of Joel gave the promise and you poured out your spirit, Lord. Father, touch the hearts of the people this morning. Father, bless each and every one. Lord, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Lord, we ask for traveling mercies. We ask for your hand of grace. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen.